Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. I have been committed to bringing young people on, folk that are in them streets doing the work, rolling up their sleeves, getting busy. And this gentleman is working in Colorado. It's an organization organizer for Together Colorado is the name of it. Together Colorado. Uh, Also, just recently, I think you fought to remove slavery from Colorado's constitution. Like, why was it still in there? We're going to find out all of that. Dr. Butler's still here. Let me welcome Kamal Allen. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. Well, thank you. Is it Kamal or Kamal? Uh, I appreciate you for asking. It's pronounced Kamal. Kamal. Oh, it's good. Uh, Usually I butcher people's names and I feel so bad about it. Uh, (laughs) I'm always interested um, because I think we today forget that most movements in this country happen through young people, like especially civil rights. These people were in their twenties, mostly college, college age. And because we've had like a 50 year drought of like having real young of, of older people handing the baton and moving out the way, we forgot that this is where organizing actually happens. So tell me your, your story to, to be getting involved with together Colorado. Oh man. So um, <clears throat> I actually uh in order to tell that story, I have to explain why I'm an organizer, how I became an organizer. So I started organizing before I joined Together Colorado, which is a community-based, faith-based um, community organization. Um, but I, my organizing journey started in 2014, following the uh, the murder of Michael Brown Jr. in Ferguson. And um, at the time, I was going to Howard University. So when you speak about young people in the middle of this movement, in the middle of this cause, I was, I felt like I was in the thick of it, being at a black institution. And um, we were all huddled around a little laptop, watching the prosecutor give a speech about whether or not he was going, uh, the grand jury was going to indict Officer Darren Wilson. And when it was announced that the speech was going to happen, like all of these, he was on lockdown. Classes were canceled because they didn't know how, uh, we were gonna respond, we didn't know how the city was gonna respond. But um, as soon as the prosecutor said, we found no reason to criminally indict Officer Darren Wilson of any crimes, I got up, went straight to my dorm room, started packing my bags. And my girlfriend at the time asked me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to St. Louis. How are you getting there? I don't know. What you gonna do when you get there? I don't know. Where are you gonna stay? I said, I'll sleep on the sidewalk if I have to, but I'm going and ain't nobody gonna stop me. The first person I called up was my pastor. And I I said, pastor, I ain't taking no for an answer. I need to know who you know that lives in St. Louis because I'm going. But then he asked me, slow down, son, slow down. Why are you going to a city you've never been to, in a neighborhood you never heard of, to fight for a young man you never knew and never will know, when you could be doing plenty of work in D.C. or in Denver? And I reflected on my life. I reflected on the times when I could have been Mike Brown. I reflected on the very first time I was stopped by the police was in my mother's driveway. Mm-hmm. And I thought about all my family members who had been locked up for things that are now legal to do in this state, in the state of Colorado. And I said to, I said to my pastor, I'm going because I could have been Mike Brown and I still could be and nobody should. And so I went to Ferguson and that's how I started my organizing um, path and journey. Where did you sleep? Where did you go when you got there? Because uh, so many people, I remember DeRay being on the show, uh, and he was a school teacher who left 
his job. Uh, and so many, I mean, that's so many people went to Ferguson because they f- felt fire shut up in their bones like they had to. So when you got there, what did you experience? Where did you stay? Did your pastor hook you up with some place to stay? And then what did you do? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so my pastor hooked me up with um, Anthony Grimes, a mentor of mine and a good friend. Um, and at the time he was leading a group that was housed under the Fellowship of Reconciliation. So Pastor Seku was a part of yeah. that. Um, uh, and and so, so many other amazing, incredible people. And through their connections, we were able to stay at a safe house, which was um, given to us by, um, by a, a congregation in the area. And so we stayed there. We supported and followed the leadership of the people who were moving on the ground there. We were very, very much aware that um, we were outsiders coming in to somebody's home. And because of that, we wanted to respect their home. We wanted to respect their leadership. And so because of that, we engaged in um, nonviolent civil disobedience, uh, following the direction of uh, local organizers and clergy. So you you left there. How long did you stay in, in Ferguson? How long? Stayed about seven days. Okay. And then you went back to Howard, finished up, got a degree in what? Yes, ma'am. Um, I, I, um, so here's the thing. When I went to Ferguson, flying into St. Louis, I had so many answers that I thought were answers. And then when I was in the middle of St. Louis at the time, I realized that I didn't really have answers. I had questions questions that were just gnawing at the back of my head. How did these police get these weapons? Why was an all white police force policing a majority black neighborhood? How did so many of my own family members get locked up for things that are now legal to do in this state? And I left asking those questions (laughs) into oblivion. I searched for answers in books and in different forms of protest I searched for it in every single class, every single time I raised my hand, I linked it back to what I saw and what I learned and the questions that I had at Ferguson. But then when I graduated, I was still asking those questions. And I wanted to know how to, how to move and how to build power as an organizer, not just as an advocate. And so when I started looking for jobs, I honestly didn't know that there were even paid organizer positions. I knew very little about the C3 world, to be quite honest. You know, and, and, and until you dive headfirst into it, there's nobody to really prepare you for what type of world this is. What was your degree so, in? Come on. Uh, my, my degree was in African studies and uh, political science. Okay. And you, you got a job, paid job, organizing. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And that's what you're doing. I, you know, I think when we think about organizing, it's just kind of amorphous, you know, but, you know, bubble, like somehow things come together, people march, they have signs. And I'm going to say this because I started this program literally the week that Mike Brown was killed. And the kind of show that they wanted me to do changed dramatically on the heels of that death because that same week or the week following the Eric Garner tape came out and then it was Terrence Stansberry and it was it seemed like every week it was Tamir Rice it was like a drumbeat of people being killed by police and you know the question that I ask what is the organizing doing if it's if we're right back here next year the year you know George Floyd 
it's going to be an unfortunately during George George Floyd's trial, somebody else got killed. Like, and we can have a not guilty verdict or a guilty verdict, and we're we're still not we're still you know still not protected from from the whims of a system that was designed to do exactly what it's doing. So, how does organizing lead to to real change? You know, I I appreciate this question. Um, I feel like this is an age old question for us as black people in this country. And um, I'll, I'll put it this way. I'll put it this way. I know that um, I know that our ancestors who woke up every day enslaved, that waking up was an act of resistance, mm-hmm. that living and surviving was an act of resistance, that burning the plantation down was an act of resistance. And though in the middle of those moments, slavery still persisted, resistance still persisted. And because resistance persisted, we persist as a people. That's great, Camille. I wanna ask you a couple of questions though, because I'm I'm thinking about how you you framed how you got into this. So one of the things I was curious about, you brought up Reverend Sekou, who's a friend of mine. So I was thinking, you know, what what empowers you to do this? Is it your faith? Is it it anger? You know, I'm thinking about, you and I both were in, seemed like in the middle of things. I didn't go to Ferguson, but a lot of what happened in Ferguson and what happened to Mike Brown really angered me and it, it changed the way I wrote, right? And I wrote with a, with a much stronger style about race and racism. I'm just wondering for you, where do you find that strength, first of all? And then secondarily, what is it about Colorado right now that you find that really needs to be addressed? And so those two questions. All right, so I love those questions. So the first thing is I'm motivated by two things. Um, When I see folks who look like us who get get killed, murdered by our government, I feel anger and I also feel fear. (laughs) Every time that happens, I drive, always looking at my rear rear view mirror a lot more closely that every time a police officer is behind me, I think to myself, the, the automatic thought that goes to my head is who's the first person that I'm going to call so that when I die, my mother would be the last person to find me. And I think that's like just realizing that, you know, we, we carry that in very subtle ways, mm-hmm. things that make us less free every single day. Yeah. Things that make me angry every single day that I can't mm-hmm. go to sleep. You know, that's, that's, that's the stuff that motivates me. And also knowing that it can happen to any single one of us at any time, especially when we're Black. Um, but I'm also motivated by, I sincerely hope that through resistance work, things can change. I wouldn't be an organizer if I didn't believe that. Mm-hmm. I would find a much, uh, I, I would try to find a much easier job to do if I didn't believe it. But that's, I do believe that things can be better if we persist and if we resist. Mm-hmm. And, and when you talk about resistance, are you talking about, you know, the kinds of things that people are doing, whether you're, you're marching or whatever? Because, you know, there's some people who would say, well, resistance is great when you go out and do a march or whatever, but can we do economic resistance? Can't we do other kinds of resistance? And I guess that's sort of what I'm pressing you on is just asking, you know, there's different kinds of advocacy that people do. But what is it that you find that has worked in, in the particular case with the people you're working with and why? 
So I usually find that, um, so, and this is me coming from a community organizer perspective. Mm -hmm. I find that when people come together as grassroots community and they resist by, um, by building power within the community, it could be economic or it could be, um, it could be social and political. And having a clear vision for what exactly needs to change, what exactly needs to happen, I found that that is the most effective thing to do. As a matter of fact, right now, um, we have been pushing legislation as a result of a very grassroots effort here in Colorado that one of our own was arrested at gunpoint for walking home while black, and that he was misidentified through a policing procedure that looks and feels very much like a Jim Crow type of roundup. Mm -hmm. And so the community got together and figured out what to do about that practice. And I know that's a small example and that, the, that policing as an institution is, um, I, I personally don't think you could piecemeal it anymore. But yeah. I, I know that um, as a, you know, when the community has its back up against the wall, that type of organizing is sometimes literally all that we've got. Yeah. And I think when we work it really well, it can, it can move mountains. Kamal mm -hmm. Allen, organizer for Together Colorado, and you can follow them at TogetherCO and TogetherColorado.org. Uh, you led the charge to remove slavery from the Constitution. First of all, and, and this is a couple of years ago. This is not 1800s. Why was it in the Constitution and what did it take to, to remove the language, because language matters, right? Yes, man, words have the power to define our reality, especially if there's enough power behind it to enforce it. Um, I got involved in the 2018 Colorado campaign to remove the language from Colorado's constitution that allowed for slavery and involuntary servitude to exist as punishments for crime. This was the second campaign in Colorado because it was attempted in 2016 and it failed. Wait, so if um, so, I, there there were people that voted to keep slavery in the Constitution. Voted to keep slavery in the Constitution. There were, and I'll touch base on this in just a little bit. But uh, in the Abolish Slavery National Network, we are noticing more and more resistance to this particular topic. But in Colorado, we had to answer those questions a lot on the campaign trail because a lot of folks were like, "Well, first of all, what? There's still slavery." So, so a lot of folks are starting from way over there. And then there are folks who are like, yeah, I, I understand that slavery exists in the 13th Amendment of the US Constitution, but tell me why in Colorado, when Colorado wasn't even a state during uh, the Civil War. And so um, Colorado, like a lot of other states, about 24 other states, had decided to adopt similar or identical language um, once the 13th Amendment uh, had been passed and ratified. And so Colorado, whose constitution was drafted, I think in like 1878, don't quote me on it though, um, decided to, to take almost identical language saying that slavery is hereby abolished in this state except as punishment for a crime. So everywhere in this country where, in, uh, where a pro-slavery loophole exists, it's always as the exception for punishment for a crime. Now, the other states that did not um, adopt similar or identical language automatically defer to the 13th Amendment because there are some states that have no mention of slavery whatsoever, but they uh, they defer to what's in the 13th. Which has the same butt clause. Yeah. Okay. 
So how were you able to overturn it if it's literally in our United States Constitution, that same but for clause? Exactly. So, so this is um, so this is exactly um, why I'm a big champion of ballot measure initiatives. So in the state of Colorado and in various other states that the Abolish Slavery National Network is working with, we have um, noticed a trend where the people are taking a power and resistance organizing into their own hands to place something on the ballot to repeal that exceptions clause. So um, we did that through a um, through a, uh, through the legislature. So we had to find a bill sponsor, and then we had to have the committee hearings and all of that. And fortunately, in Colorado, it passed unanimously in both houses, for both parties, to get this on the ballot. And then from there, it was all campaign work. Um, educating people on this matter, groundwork, um, lit, uh, literature drops, um, town hall meetings, and literally just trying to do everything we could to get the word out to make sure that people this time in 2018 vote yes on um, on this constitutional amendment change. So people listening right now, um, no matter what their age, what advice would you give for people? Because folk always are saying they want to get involved, you know, and maybe it's not that visceral you know, move like we saw in the 60s with, you know, Viola Wozo or Schwerner and Goodman, where something happened, and I'm talking about people who aren't even black, and they felt compelled, or like you, so many people in 2014 had to go to Ferguson, like it was a mandate in their spirit. Absent that, we need every day, not driven by passion, but driven by action. What advice do you give to folk who um, live in a community and want to see something change? Um, my first advice is that you are enough as you are. I think a lot of folks um, who feel like they're from the outside looking in think that it takes special stuff to be an organizer. There's nothing special about me that other people can't do or, um, or become a part of. That I notice that we are strongest when we bring the very best of ourselves exactly as we are and then improve from there, especially like young people. Um, you don't have to be a Dr. King. You don't have to be a Malcolm X. Um, you could come as you are, and that's enough. And just keep coming every day, every, every chance you can. Get directly involved with those, you know, with, 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 with a, a movement or an organization you agree with and just apply your best self to it, to yourself, to your community. Before we close, Kamal, I just want to ask you one, one final question. You know, it seems like y'all been doing a lot of work here. What is the thing that you want people to pay attention to that's happening in Colorado right now that, that you know, you could use help on, or whether that's people calling up, you know, the, their congressperson or, or somebody or, or helping you all organize in a way? What is this one particular thing? I mean, there's lots of things. I, I, I watch Colorado a lot because I have relatives there. So what now would you say is the one pressing issue right now in Colorado that we need to keep our eye on and pay attention to as an organizer. I appreciate that so much. Um, as a matter of fact, housing is a really big need right okay. now, especially in light of COVID. We are finding that so many of our um, so many of our neighbors are getting uh, pushed out, and you know, having had lost their jobs. And um, we, Colorado is at the very bottom when it comes when it comes to renters' rights and renters' protections. Mm -hmm. So are they doing I evictions right now? Then is that the case? Are they doing evictions? Uh, so fortunately, there's been um, eviction moratoriums, but mm -hmm. we're fearful for what would happen 
afterwards. And so um, uh, if anything, we would love people to pay attention to Senate Bill 173. Okay. Um, that is specifically about renters' protections and renters' rights. Um, and um, yeah, uh, that's, if I have one plug in, that's, that's, that's going to be housing. That's good. That's it. Senate Bill 173, pay attention to Colorado. That's the yes. plug. And how do people follow you, Kamal? Um, so I do have a personal um, uh, Twitter account, but I actually want folks to follow the Abolish Slavery National Twitter account. We are um, leading the, um, the movement together with various other states that are also abolishing slavery um, uh, from different state constitutions and the Constitution of the United States. So that's at end the exception. E N D T H E E X C E P T I O N. Awesome. Thank you. You're beautiful. You're amazing. And I'm so grateful that you came in today. Kamal. Kamal Allen doesn't want personal attention. He wants it all for the work. I love him. Thank you for being here. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.